everybody. Well, thank you for joining us for another edition of the Flashpoint Podcast. My name is Owen Higgins. I am your host, as always. And today, Tuesday, April 5th, uh, we're going to be talking about a little reaping and sowing um, today, uh, where over the last, I, I guess over the last couple days, but really over the last few weeks, uh, we have seen uh, transphobes and anti-trans activists starting to belatedly realize literally everything that they had been told was going to happen uh, with their endorsement of the social conservative hate movement that they are a part of and the uh, uh, the, the bedfellows that they have, the uh, the people who they have allied themselves with in in this uh, bigoted crusade against trans people. And so uh, what's happening now, of course, is that the successes of the anti-trans movement are now uh, spurring social conservatives uh, on to start challenging, uh, you know, kind of well-established gay rights and you know, all of these ties between these social conservative movements have been obvious for a very long time. Uh, but, uh, you know, I, I guess that when, when, you're, uh, when your grift kind of depends on ignoring that kind of stuff, there's a lot that you can pretend to miss. So in order to uh, discuss this and get into it further, I'm joined by Catlin Burns, journalist and podca- podcast co-host. Uh, her podcast I have been on myself. Uh, cancel me daddy. That was a lot of fun. We did that, uh, shortly after the, the guardian tried to, uh, kind of libel, threaten me into not writing about the transphobia in their newsroom. So Callum, thanks so much for joining us. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Yeah. So, um, you know, I, I think both you and I, uh, were talking about this with people yesterday, uh, (laughs) about the reaping and sowing, uh, of their, social conservatism and just kind of like, you know, the, the, the natural and predictable outcome of being so invested in this far right social conservative movement and how it was always going to come home. It was always going to uh, be something that, that would cause problems for, for people other than, you know, the, the the initial targets. Um, Can you talk a little bit about, you know, what has happened over the last few days, few weeks, that has made these consequences just be like, you know, just very, very obvious. Yeah, I think uh, the real wake up call for them was um, in the in the aftermath here of the of Florida's Don't Say Gay Bill um, and being passed and signed into law. You see a lot of particularly American conservatives <clears throat> really leaning into um, labeling everybody who opposed this the bill that was just kind of ridiculous on its face um as groomers i think was the term that they kept using like um <clears throat> insinuating that uh people who opposed this really draconian um quote-unquote education bill in florida uh is pro-pedophilia and you're seeing the rhetoric really ramp up in really concerning ways um, all over the country, you're seeing it all over, you know, Fox News and right-wing media. And this has been a thing um, in other countries for a very long time. I mean, the, the Don't Say Gay Bill is basically a copy of uh, Russia's, like, anti-gay propaganda bill. It's a little bit watered down because it's focused only on schools. Um, but, you know, internationally... Uh, there have been many efforts like this before. Um, but really in the last couple of weeks, uh, what you're seeing is people like Andrew Sullivan or Katie Herzog, um, who have sort of led the charge in the centrist blogosphere, if you will, um, against trans rights. This starting to kick back on them because both of those individuals are gay. Um, you know, Katie's a lesbian and Andrew Sullivan obviously is gay and they're going, 
oh, well, why, well, you know, they're all of a sudden they're concerned about the rhetoric in all of this. And it's like, well, you started this. <laughs> like, you were, you guys were like the foundation for bringing moderates into the anti-trans movement. And now you're like getting upset that it's turned against you. And it's like, well, you know, trans people have been over here telling you this is what was going to happen if you use really old recycled anti-gay stereotypes to attack trans people. Um, we told you this was going to happen. So uh, a lot of schadenfreude, I guess you could say, lately. And uh, like you said, reaping and sowing all over the board. Yeah, yeah. I think that, I mean, there, there's there's definitely a lot of irony here in the, you know, I, I never thought it would happen to me when it was obviously, <laughs> it was always very, very obvious uh, that it would happen. Uh, yeah. You know, to to anybody who was, you know, caught, caught in the, in the crossfire here. Uh, and I know that you mentioned other countries. I, I do want to get to Britain uh, in a few <laughs> minutes, but um, you know, I do think that it's, it, it is interesting, you know, Sullivan in particular, who, who is, you know, a, in addition to being a transphobic bigot is, is uh, easily one of the most racist people in media, I mm-hmm. think, I think out there, I mean, like in, including, the very far right of media. I mean, Sullivan's mm-hmm. views on race and views on trans rights are, are to the extreme right, to the extreme right. Um, yeah. And I think that it, it is interesting for him uh, to be kind of pushing back on this stuff, especially considering his, his record, his past, his history, and uh, just his general uh, behavior over, over the years. But even even in even in you know his 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 tweets and his Twitter posting yesterday, which you know kind of amusingly had this this kind of undercurrent of outrage and surprise over this happening, mm-hmm. um, that that Sullivan uh, you know has has kind of tried to he's still trying to give uh, his fellow bigots an out right he's still trying to say like you know like you know, this is critical race theory and critical gender theory, but, you know, but, but, but going after gay people is different. And I, I'm just kind of curious, like how well that's going to work. I mean, Herzog did almost the exact same thing, uh, saying pretty much immediately that this was actually the fault of trans people, not <laughs> the fault of the fault of, you know, conservatives for, uh, for doing what they're doing. But um, I certainly found it interesting that, his approach to this was to kind of immediately try to deflect in such a way that was kind of giving these more far right figures the out, of course, that they didn't take it though. Um, do you think, do you think that that's, that that they're going to still kind of, because I, I, I personally don't agree that these people are moderates, but, but I, I understand what you're saying, but I think that they are, are more rightly described as, as conservatives, members of the right wing. Um, but either way, I mean, what they are trying to do is they are trying uh, to kind of give an out to their uh, compatriots mm-hmm. on the right wing, uh, their transphobic compatriots on the right wing. And so I'm curious as as to if you think that's going to continue or if they are going to break with this movement and then pretend that they never had anything to do with it. Uh, I, it's an interesting question. Um, I think you have to understand sort of the history of um, people, people like Sullivan, right? So he's what we would call uh, an assimilationist gay. (laughs) Um, His deal has always been, you know, uh, he wanted to be considered quote unquote normal. He wanted the right to marry just like straight people because he was one of the good ones or he was one of the, you know, quote unquote normal queers, if you will, Um, even rejecting that label altogether. Uh, so it, it's not surprising at all that they like quickly jumped to that to say, "Hey, look, no, we're we're the normal ones. Don't pick on us. It's those freaks over there that you need to look at, right?" So, first of all, let me just say it's utterly unsurprising that they went to this place. Um, I think that to your question of if it'll work, I, I think the train has already left the station on this. Uh, I don't think you can just put the genie back in the bottle with this stuff. Uh, I mean, they, when I say that they built, they helped build this, what I mean is, is like Sullivan has written numerous times about, quote unquote, trans ideology and how 
uh, you know, a, a gender dysphoria in children is really a social contagion, and it's and it became this sort of media meme. Like, there's no scientific basis for this theory, but people like there's so many people in media who desperately want it to be true that it's just assumed to be true because it's been written about so often. Why do you think that is? Why do you, why do you think it is that, that they want it to be true so bad? I mean, like, why, like, who cares? You know what I mean? Like, why, like, why, like, why is there the, this uh, fascination with, with this topic and with this issue? Uh, in, it, it, but it's so, but so specifically in media institutions where, yeah. where people, you know, like to consider themselves kind of, uh, you know, quote unquote, like above. Right, the uh, social conservatives—they—they yeah. they like to consider themselves better than, uh, than you know, evangelicals or Christians or whatever. I mean, this is this is something that's been going on for like twenty years, like since the yeah. years before that, nineties even. But but why do you think it is that that with this specific topic that they're so fixated on it? Well, I think that uh, moral panics involving kids sells papers. If you want my really cynical take, I think that's basically it. Um, I, I think that. Uh, there's been a lot of work done in the media on trans children without understanding like the context of this is getting really into the weeds so I apologize for people just fresh coming into this but there's been a, a lot of politics in trans healthcare over the years. Like, uh, if you look at who runs the major, like, trans health studies and publications that publish the studies, they're all controlled by a very small number of people. <laughs> and they've done some really shady things in the past. Like they've, they've tried to reinvent conversion therapy about two dozen different times. Uh, at first it was directed at gay kids and now it's directed at trans kids. It's the same stuff over and over and over again. And they, they, the, the small group of people have like a fiefdom. And the problem is, is they've convinced a bunch of people in the media that they're like modern day Galileos who are being silenced. And I think that that like all swirls together to make it a really attractive media story. But the people who jump in to cover this, like they're motivated by like outrage, like, Oh, this guy's getting a raw deal. He's like not being heard. There's alternative science, but they don't actually stop and look and think about what's actually going on here. It's very similar to like the way anti-vax stuff gets laundered into the media. Um, I think that the anti-trans side has been much more effective than the anti-vax side actually in that front. Yeah. I mean, there, there are definitely parallels here with, with the anti-vax stuff, I think in that, you know, you can see that there are certain, like there are certain figures as well, like outside of, you know, the really, really hateful ones um, who who try and launder this stuff into uh, into the media, like you're saying. I mean, you know, like, mm -hmm. like, like people like uh, like Greenwald, for example, like, you know, they, they kind of do this. I'm just asking questions thing about this yeah. stuff when, you know, what they're really I mean, it's very it's, it's very, very clear uh, what they're doing. Um, they are they are indulging these transphobic tropes. They are intentionally. Mm -hmm. Uh, spreading this message and spreading these these ideologies uh, to their to their audience, but they're doing it in such a way. Uh, I think Barry Weiss. I mean, I realize that for some people it might be a little unseemly to mention her, but uh, <laughs> but you know, for Barry Barry Weiss is another good example where you know, like, kind of just uh, it, it kind of laundering these these anti-trans talking points into the media, and then you know, a lot of people. I mean, I do think that there's also a major transphobia problem in the media, whether it's people, again, like, you know, who would consider criticism of some of these figures unseemly, but, like, it's really because the marginalized group that they're going after, the people who are saying that kind of stuff, they don't care about them, right? Yeah. It's like, the, like, the, like they, they, don't, they don't care. Um, and so for them, it's not a big deal if, if somebody like Barry Weiss goes, goes after a member of this community because what's more important is that they see themselves as, as these... Uh, individuals' peers, or 
or that somehow uh you know maybe or maybe you know maybe at some point we'll be working together there's some kind of like elite kind of backslapping there and so you know like you have to make sure to criticize them in the right way and you know when their targets don't really matter then their targets don't really matter um and this is all kind of to say that i think that there is a major transphobia problem in the media but it's very hard to kind of pin down um and i know that and i know that you know uh, your work has has focused on this issue for 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 a long time and not only in media i know that you focus on a lot of other things too but um do you think that there are like certain tiers of like what's except like there are certain acceptable bigotries right and there are certain ones that aren't and and uh, i kind of get the impression that maybe you think that and and if you do can you kind of explain it and if you think that i'm kind of on the wrong track please please direct me back to to correct um Yes and no. I think that uh, where I agree with you is that I think that transphobia has been made into a sort of socially acceptable bigotry um, to express in part because there's been so much work to try to depersonalize discussion of trans people and trans issues and turn it into more of like an abstract academic debate rather than, you know, something that actually considers the personhood of trans people. And I think this is part of the problem, right? Because you saw, like, with the the, the um, Supreme Court justice nomination hearings, you know, last week or the week before, and, and they're going on and on about what is the definition of woman? Well, I mean, I'm less concerned about the definition of woman than I am about like trans women getting uh, raped at disproportionate levels in prison and how can we fix this? Like uh, I'm, I'm, I'm less interested in the sort of abstract big thinking issues as I am about like, why is it that, that trans women with bachelor's degrees are significantly underemployed compared to non-trans people like i think this is the part that frustrates me it's like centering uh trans people as not people (laughs) or not humans uh it's more like ideas and that's why you see these people say over and over no 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 i don't oppose trans people i oppose trans ideology (laughs) and they turn it into this big scary you know moral panic buzzword um and again i think that much like gay rights were about 20 years ago, and I'm old enough to remember that. Um, It's like, you know, when I was growing up, there weren't, like, gay kids in my school, or at least they didn't admit it. Um, But that has changed over time because society has sort of grown to a point where they can see gay people as people. We're not at that point yet with trans people. I think that's kind of that sort of gray area that's being exploited right now. Yeah, it's kind of like an acceptable an acceptable target, an acceptable bigotry. Um, mm-hmm. can, can you talk a little bit more about, about those um, kind of more, maybe more serious kind of societal ramifications of, of this kind of rhetoric and language? Because, I mean, you're right. Like that is, that, I mean, that is a mo- much more real uh, effect of of this ideology and this yeah. um, and 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 you know the it, like the consequences of this stuff. Yeah, I mean, uh, we could start with with Florida and their recently passed bill. I can tell you what's going to happen next. Um, and all you have to do is look at uh, the United Kingdom, Great Britain, in the '90s because they had a, a law called Section Twenty Eight. And it was basically like uh, it, it banned the mention of homosexuality uh, and transsexuality in schools. And it was in place for a very long time. I'm not sure exactly how long it was. Um, but the net effect of that was that LGBT teachers were run out of the profession. Uh, first of all, that was the first thing that happened. But even more insidio- uh, insidiously, insidiously, excuse me, was 
if there was a student who was bullied for being gay or being perceived as gay, school teachers and, and administrators were not allowed to mention that. So there was no way to control the bullying, right? Like teachers, you know, they couldn't take time to actually fix the underlying cause of the bullying. They could only say, you know, stop bullying. But they couldn't mention what was, what was being bullied about. Uh, because the law just hamstrung the, them. So I expect that we're going to see a bunch of stories like this emerge from Florida. You're already seeing backlash with LGBT teachers in Florida, um, you know, being labeled as as pedophiles. And it's really scary and concerning. Yeah, the grooming, I mean, the grooming language has has really taken off. And, and I think this does kind of like circle back to something that you were saying before, Um you know, trans ideology, this is one of Sullivan's uh, uh, favorite mm-hmm. little things to say, trans ideology, right? And in like spreading this stuff in school, like, and I'm speaking as them now, I'm not saying this as me, but like, you know, kind of like this idea that by, you know, by, by spreading this like, quote, unquote, ideology in schools that, mm-hmm. you know, that, that, that somehow there's, uh, there's a some sort of like abuse going on. There's some sort of uh, grooming, and of course, this is what we see in Florida now too. Uh, but this has been a pretty predictable line of attack against trans people for a while, mm-hmm. um, and it 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 does seem. I mean, it seems kind of from the outside. Obviously, I'm not somebody who, who whose work uh, focuses on this all the time, and so, but um, but it does seem like a kind of new kind of combination of the kind of QAnon stuff and the anti-trans movement um what's what's your sense of that is is this is this new or is this not new or is this just kind of taking a different form well i mean uh smearing queer people as pedophiles is as old as time (laughs) so in that regard no that that part is not new um but you know if you remember somebody like uh uh Graham Linehan, right? He's an Irish comedian, uh, did a couple of, like, made a couple of TV shows that were really successful and then completely lost his mind to transphobia. His entire life is now dedicated to harassing trans people, especially trans women. Um, he speaks down to any cisgender women who disagree with him and tells, like, tries to put them in their place. He actually got banned from Twitter for calling a trans woman a groomer. And this was a couple of years ago. So this is a thing that has sort of been brought back into focus by supposedly lefty gender critical feminists, quote unquote, from the United Kingdom. And of course, the evangelical Christians in America see this and they seize on it. And then they take it to the next level, which they always do with everything. So I think this is a completely foreseeable development. uh, And I I don't know why people would be surprised that this is happening now. Yeah, that's I mean, that's that's a good way to kind of shift into talking about the UK, about Britain. Um, You know, things have been pretty bad for trans people over on Turf Island for quite some time. Mm-hmm. Um, the, uh, I, you know, I wrote about this yesterday, so I'm, I'm just going to kind of go over this real quick. Um, so on Monday, uh, the UK so-called uh, Equality and Human Rights Commission. Now, this is a this is a governmental body that does not actually have any. Trying to think of like the right way to put this. I guess like, I guess the, the 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 American corollary would be to say something like you know it's it's a governmental organization without any legislative power. Mm-hmm. It, just, it just provides guidance, um, and the guidance that it has provided is basically in order to uh, segregate public spaces uh, to basically keep trans people out of single sexed uh, spaces uh, and. Uh, they said in their in their tweet that they were offering to quote help service providers to make lawful decisions about any services they offer to women and men separately close quote uh, Stonewall replied by saying quote far from clarifying how the single sex exemptions in the Equality Act should be used the EHRC's latest non statutory guidance is likely to create more confusion 
it appears to go against the core presumption of the act, which is that inclusion should be the starting point, and shifts the focus towards reasons trans people, and specifically trans women, uh, can be excluded. Now, this is not uh, the first time that the EHRC has uh, made a decision like this. It's certainly not the first time that they have targeted trans people with their guidance. They've been going further and further to the right. Uh, since I wrote this, I've been hearing from people in the UK just talking about how you know, this organization uh, is very, uh, let's say, it's very selective about uh, you know, what, what, what it, it issues guidance over or what it investigates. It's not very interested in investigating Islamophobia or racism from the conservative party, but it is certainly interested in, uh, in doing what uh, te former television presenter India Willoughby called uh, trans apartheid. Mm -hmm. um, and Willoughby also told me that life for trans people in Britain has turned into a living nightmare over the last five years. He told me that in February uh, uh, for an article I wrote in March about how kind of, you know, the, the examples being provided to Americans from the UK of how to exclude trans people uh, from these, from spaces and from, and, and to kind of segregate them out of society have been, have been taken. Like those lessons have been taken uh, by people in the U.S. And there's a, there's an interesting kind of cross-section between this very specific kind of conservative right-wing feminism uh, mm -hmm. that we find in the U.K. and in Britain. And then also, and then, and then the kind of more uh, religious-based uh, transphobia, anti-trans activism that we find in the U.S. Now, of, of course, as we've discussed, uh, there are certain people like, uh, like as we mentioned, uh, Herzog and Sullivan, and as I would argue, people like Greenwald, uh, who have tried to kind of launder these transphobic talking points into uh, more moderate, maybe more liberal American society. And to, you know, to an extent, I think that's worked. Uh, there have also been some, some people who claim to be on the left who have tried to do this as well. Mm -hmm. tried to, you know, they kind of make claims that the working class is basically a bunch of bigoted white men, and so therefore you have to appeal to them no matter what. Um, I, I also don't agree with that, but um, that's because I've actually been a member of the working class, uh, <laughs> so I actually know what people are like uh, in, in those uh, environments and situations. So, um, uh, it, But it is, it is interesting. It is interesting that this has, has been a, a line of attack and that um, – that they're that people in the U.S. are taking lessons from people in Britain, but what is happening, and this is kind of the point that I'm kind of coming around to here, is that uh, people in the U.S. Uh, are doing the same thing that they are doing in the U.K., except that in the U.S. they are doing it with this religious right fervor and tinge. And so that has made some people uh, who, who consider themselves, I guess, more intellectually honest or whatever, uh, feel kind of squicky about it, I guess. And mm -hmm. um, yeah, I, I, so do you think that that's a fair interpretation of what's going on? And what, what is your general sense of, of that kind of crossover across the Atlantic from the U.S. to the U.K. and back again? Uh, I think there's much more coordination going on behind the scenes than anyone would ever admit. <laughs> um, it's, I've done a little bit of reporting on this. Uh, there are certainly connections between America, the American right wing and American uh, sort of gender critical feminists, if you will, or TERFs. Um, and those have been pretty well documented. It, it's more difficult to find connections internationally because there's just different disclosure laws, right, for for charities and whatnot, um, or uh, it, it's much easier to sort of launder money into an extremist movement overseas without having to document it. Um, so I, I'm sort of jumping a little bit all over the place, but I, I think that there has been more coordination than a lot of people realize. Um, and, and one I discovered this morning, are you familiar with the group Focus on the Family? Oh, yeah. That's uh, Dobson's, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So they, uh, I was saw this Twitter thread from somebody earlier, and then I went and verified it on their website myself. But they looked at um, 
the focus on the family website and some of the sort of uh, terms that they use to describe things within the LGBT movement. And one really jumped out at me, and that was, and, and you could tell that this was like language from an older time that they just haven't like updated. But instead of saying like gay man, they'll say gay identified man, right, uh, in their guidance. And that is extremely similar to what uh, like left wing, well, I wouldn't, I wouldn't say left wing, but like purportedly left leaning British feminists have labeled trans women as they, they call us trans identified men. And there's all these language similarities that have seemingly jumped the pond between evangelicals and radical feminists in Great Britain that it can't be a coincidence. And it's not always just the evangelicals borrowing language from, you know, UK feminists. It goes the other way also. Uh, the term gender ideology, which is like this big scary buzzword meant to represent what they say is like a threat to Western society. Um, you know, in, in the UK, it's used to describe the trans rights movement. In Hungary, it's used to describe like George Soros and Jewish influence in universities and the LGBT movement. Um, it's actually a term invented by the Vatican, if you actually go back and look. Uh, so there's a, certainly a bunch of language sharing. Um, I think that there is more direct coordination. I mean, CPAC, uh, the Conservative Political Action Conference, you know, held an event in Budapest this year in Hungary, you know, where Viktor Orban just won re-election in part by uh, introducing a referendum that proposed essentially the don't say gay bill that Florida just passed. So there's a ton of international coordination on this. Um, and I think it's a mistake to sort of try to turn this into localized fights. Like we have to realize that it's not just local fights all over the place, right? Like, yes, we win it by turning it into localized, a localized issue. But also we have to realize that there are giant, well-financed forces behind all of this stuff. Yeah, can you talk a little bit more about that? You were saying that you were tracking that, you know, there are these groups that are, you know, kind of like passing money back and forth. I mean, mm -hmm. so, so you said that there are groups that are sending people in America sending money over to the UK, mm -hmm. you know, these and other other European countries, I assume, because the, the mm -hmm. anti-trans movement is, is certainly uh, uh, taking off over there. Um, I assume that I assume that there's some tracking of the money here, and I'm also curious. Uh, after you kind of explain that, can you uh, kind of just let me know, like how, like does does any of that money then kind of like circle all the way around and come back? <laughs> um, honestly, no. I think it's it's mostly a spigot that flows from U.S. evangelicals to the rest of the world, and it's not just Europe. It's you know Africa. Family Research Council has been implicated in, in funding a lot of, you know, overseas, uh, like, uh, you know, every once in a while, there'd be an African country that proposes the death penalty for homosexuality. And if you look deeper into it, you find, you know, American evangelical players behind that. Um, I, I, I really don't think that the money flows the other way that much. Uh, open democracy has done a lot of really great work to track the money uh, that flows internationally. It's not something that's in my area of specialties, so it's difficult for me to do the sort of line-by-line -line investigative work on that. Um, there's also a really great book. It's like a collection of mostly academic essays, but it's called Anti-Gender Campaigns in Europe that talks about how all of this is sort of fit together uh, and it's mostly focused on Eastern Europe because it was published before the big trans panic took off in the UK. But you can see a lot of like the groundwork that's been laid for years to sort of spring this on the entire world. And of course, the Murdoch Press is at the center of a lot of this. Yeah. Yeah, there's, I mean, 
we certainly see. I mean, there, there's also like a pipeline uh, from the Murdoch press to elements of the alternative press, right? So there's, mm -hmm. um, uh, it, as an example, I wrote about this a while ago. Um, you know, we uh, so Tucker Carlson, um, the, the the white nationalist far right uh, host on Fox News uh, primetime, uh, when. Uh, Transportation Secretary Pete Buttigieg went on paternity leave. Uh, it, he makes he he, he made some co Tucker Carlson made some comment, you know, so, something to the effect of, um, you know, uh, needing to learn how to breastfeed. No word on how that meant. It was it was it was uh, very obviously like a transphobic attack. That was the, mm -hmm. I mean, that, like that's what he was saying. So he says this, and then it kind of like filters out. It filters out, and then we see, you know, we see. Um, failed comedian Jimmy Dore uh, talking about it on his YouTube show, you know, using the same kind of language. Like, it kind of, like, dissipates out. And it is interesting how, like, you know, they, they kind of get the, uh, they get their talking points, um, and then they they kind of just parrot them. And it, I mean, it, it's certainly possible that all of this stuff is just, like, a coincidence, that it's a coincidence that, that these... Uh, that these groups and these personalities all, uh, you know, use the same language and mm -hmm. they all make the same arguments and they all target the same people. Um, but I prefer to go with the kind of more logical explanation, which is that this is, to a certain extent, it's coordinated. Whether or not it's, you know, like I don't think that like uh, Tucker is talking to like, you know, so, like some uh, – anti-vax lunatic or something like that who's like repeating what he's saying on trans issues but it does filter down it does dissipate because they you know they use intermediaries and so but it so what's interesting about this is that it's now kind of fueling this right-wing movement um to the point that uh that it's now becoming like a driving part of the right wing's kind of social conservative movement as far as 2022 and assuming 2024 are going. And that's what we're seeing with the don't say gay bill. And we're seeing those bills pop up all over the place. Um, and do you feel like these are going to be struck down by the courts or do you think that these are a real clear and present and ongoing danger? I, I have no faith in the courts. So you, so you feel that like that that this stuff is going to get upheld, and we're just basically going to go careening back like decades. Yeah, I mean, a, a lot of this stuff is interwoven to, together legally. Um, I mean, the right to personal privacy from your government, um, you know, is really undergirded by Roe v. Wade, which I don't think is going to survive much longer. Um, yeah, just like, so, like two months, right? Yeah, so like once that goes down, like there's a whole host of personal liberties that Americans have, have I think, learned to take for granted that are set to um, have a legal basis to be struck down. I think that, uh, and I've said this for a long time, and I've always been sort of labeled a crank or conspiracy theorist, but like it's pretty clear that uh, this is the direction we're heading in, but like, the list of citations of, of rights that Roe v. Wade upholds is uh, longer than my arm. You know, uh, you're talking about if the government can tell you what to do with your uterus, it certainly can tell you what you're allowed to do, you know, in, in your marriage choices or even in your bedroom, um, you know, the privacy of your own bedroom. Um and, and certainly has the right to tell you what to do about gender transition, you know, whether or not you have the right to do that. So, uh, yeah, I don't think the courts are going to be a refuge on any of this stuff. Uh, and it's, <laughs> I, and I hate that cause I, I'm not usually like a doomer type of person. I, I, I like to be more optimistic, but I just don't see a way out, uh, with this current court setup especially when we have a legislature that just is incapable of, of um, you know, passing anything remotely liberal. Yeah. What do you think? I mean, 
it, it, it doesn't sound like you have much hope in political leaders either. Uh, do you feel like they have kind of thrown trans people under the bus, or do you think they just don't care, or or is that distinct? Does that distinction even matter? I think most Democrats are afraid to even get into the trans issue. Uh, I, I'll be interested to see what happens now that sort of gay people are getting, getting brought into this. Um, I, I'm interested to see if Democrats will feel more confident in pushing back on the conservative rhetoric. Um, but it's a wait and see type of thing. Like, uh, you know, I, I'm not going to take it as an article of faith that Democrats in the Senate are going to come through for LGBT people until they actually show me they will do that. Yeah, I mean, they, you know, they, there was certainly some noise made about uh, protecting trans kids and, uh, you know, trans rights in 2020, but there doesn't seem to be a lot of action taken on that, right? I mean, I will say, uh, and, I, I, and I'm not the biggest Biden fan. In fact, I'm, <laughs> I've been harassed for criticizing Biden by his own, like, weird little Twitter stands. Uh, I will say Biden has done a decent job in pushing back on the, on the anti-trans stuff at the state level. Um, I mean, there's only so much that the federal government can do um, without depending on the court system. And, and for the most part, Biden has done it. But when it comes to legislators, I mean, uh, they, they haven't done a damn thing. Yeah, yeah, not much has happened at the federal level, like outside of outside of the administration. Um, yeah, the, and the problem with administrative uh, administration actions is that the next administration can undo it, and we saw that with Trump, you know, who undid a bunch of Obama's early trans reforms. So uh, that's not a permanent solution by any means, um, and I don't have the answer for how how this ends up getting fixed in the end. Yeah. So. Um... So with our with with our remaining time, and I think I think we're gonna uh, not be able to take uh, questions on this one. But um, with our remaining time, I, I wanted to ask you uh, about kind of uh, the, the way that you know, because we we touched on it a little bit before uh, we were talking about you know um, the the anti-vax conspiracy theories and uh, you know the transphobic panic and kind of how all of this stuff kind of. Uh, is is kind of interwoven. Um, you, you know, we've done we've done some interviews on the show uh, with people who uh, like An Antonio uh, Valadares um, and and Brandon Sutton. You know, talking about these uh, like like the wellness industry and you know other kind of like fitness and just other like like little niche uh, groups where these kind of conspiracy theories can kind of take hold and mm -hmm. then uh, push people to the right, push people to the extreme fringe uh, of the right wing. Uh, and it does seem like the anti-trans panic has done the same thing. It seems like it has kind of uh, pushed people over to the right and it has uh, strengthened kind of uh, the, the far right in the country. Um, and I know that you've been following this, uh, and, and, you know, we, we also talked about like the intersection of QAnon and like the grooming and, and all of this. I mean, uh, are, are you, do, do you think that, uh, this push from people like, you know, to bring it, bring it all the way back to like, you know, people like Sullivan, people like Herzog, they, like their push to kind of get people, uh, to, to kind of like normalize, uh, anti-trans bigotry, uh, toward moderates and so-called liberals. Do you think that that has had the effect of pushing people further to the right and kind of, you know, uh, is that why it's such a rallying call right now? Is it, is it just bigotry? I mean, is, is it something different? What's, what's your take on that? Yeah, I think, uh, I think it has pushed people to the right. I think that, um, it's a real litmus test for, um, people's sort of open-mindedness uh, and, and for a lot of people, I think the concept of trans people existing is just a bridge too far that they can't accept. So um, it's certainly uh, worrying that it has seemingly been so successful. 
Uh, but if, at the same time, like if you look at polling, and again, polling depends heavily on how questions are phrased to begin with. But if you look at polling, like uh, it's mostly, um, you know, trans rights when when you state it benignly, uh, it polls very well. Uh, when you when you phrase it more sinister, you know, in a more sinister way, uh, it doesn't poll very well. Um, but I think for the most part, people generally will lean more into inclusion unless they're given a reason to otherwise. But I think the problem is, is that the right wing and, and the complicit media that likes to both sides everything has tried very hard to give them a reason to uh, be concerned about things that frankly aren't an issue. Like, you know, there's no there's no wave of of trans people going around being creeps in bathrooms. Um, it's it's mostly a sort of figment of the imagination. Uh, thinking about like this weird gender stranger in, in your bathroom um, that makes people uncomfortable, but if people actually know trans people in their lives, they're, they're just going to reject that out of hand. I think the problem, part of the problem is, is a lot of people don't know any trans people. Um, but uh, yeah, uh, to your point, uh, it has driven people to the right wing uh, in very concerning ways. And uh, again, I'm not, I'm not sure how to fix that problem. Yeah, it's definitely, I mean, it's definitely worth noting that um, in uh, in 2016, like, all of these bathroom bills, which was kind of, like, the first, like, little upsurge of, like, the like first kind of, like, modern up, upsurge of this stuff, uh, it, it, I mean, they just failed spectacularly, I mean, like, it, it, to, to rally people, right? I mean, like, you know, yeah. the, the right wing, I think, like, the GOP, the right wing, really expected um, that that these bills and that you know this kind of stuff would really get people uh, to to come out and that and that it was like a really hot button issue and it just didn't really work that well right like, it, yeah. like I mean I'm not saying that the laws didn't get passed I'm not saying that the laws were not damaging and were not dangerous and were not bad what I'm saying is that the uh, the specific approach of using um, this stuff is like a kind of as, as a motivator at the time just didn't work. And at some point, like, Oh, you know, over the last, like, you know, uh, six years now, right. Like uh, they managed to adjust the messaging and adjust the way that this stuff is framed so that now uh, it's having the effect that they wanted to have the, the effect that they wanted to have in the first place. Yeah. Uh, there hasn't really been a successful legislative push against trans people until the trans athlete debate came up. Um, I mean, the, the you brought up bathroom bills. One state passed a bathroom bill. That was North Carolina. It was deeply unpopular. It ended up costing the state, I think, billions of dollars in um, in, in economic activity from the boycotts. Um, and uh, uh, the governor who passed it, uh, got vote, the Republican governor who passed it, got voted out in the 2016 election, which was a, a red wave election where Donald Trump was elected. It was the most high profile loss that Republicans took that election cycle. Um, so, you know, transphobia up until I think now has never really translated into, um, into voting success. And I don't think there's been uh, a race that really revolved around it um, since then, because uh, I think in a lot of ways, I think Republicans were scared to to take it on at higher levels. I mean, even Trump declined to go, you know, into trans issues when it looked like he was going to lose to Biden, which, you know, if you were really confident in that, uh, in your transphobia working to win you an election, he would he would be the guy that would go there. Right. And of course, since he's lost, he's going there now. And his sons have been there for a while. Um, but I think it'll be interesting in the midterms coming up because I definitely think that's going to be an issue on the ballot. I think it's an issue that Democrats can win on, but I have no faith that they're going to 
um, even even try to win on it. I, I think there's, I you know, I mentioned myself having a doomer attitude er, earlier. I think that uh, Democrats fall into that trap quite often. They'll see rhetoric uh, from the right that scares them, and they don't know how to counter it, and then they just lose because they never take it on. And and I think you might see that again this year, but we'll have to wait and see uh, how the midterms go. Yeah, there's a famous I, uh, there's a famous study from like ten years ago, or or, or maybe a little bit less, but uh, showing that politicians, uh, Democrats and Republicans, uh, naturally think that their constituents are several points more conservative than they actually are, and it doesn't like it doesn't matter like which politician you're talking about, like they all think this, they all think that their electorate is, is more conservative than they are. And so that affects a lot of the decisions you know, and, and would mm-hmm. affect, you know, in, in this case, right. Because, uh, you know, in, in this case, we're talking about, um, a, a social conservative issue where the media is blasting over and over again, that, that, that people are, uh, are, are on the right wing of this issue, even, even though they're not, um, or even even though they're they're not to that extent. I mean, you know, they are trying to uh, they are trying to expand it, mm-hmm. and and so and 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 then of course it is, it's expanding beyond what they want. Um, you know, they, they they just they just want the they just want the, the the marginalized community that they're attacking to be that one little community, and and it's kind of. I mean, if, if it wasn't for the fact that this affects people's lives and is uh, uh, it, it is is so damaging and destructive, it would be almost funny to watch how completely out of touch they are uh, with with what's really going on. Because, uh, like, how how could you possibly expect anything else to happen here? Uh, and yet, uh, they still do. Yeah. So, well, Catlin, uh, thank you so much for joining us and. Um, Thanks as always for for a good conversation. I'm glad that we could have you on this show and 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 uh, had so much fun on your on your show last time. So I'm glad that we could flip it around this time. Where can people find your work and where can people follow your stuff? Yeah, I think the easiest way is uh, probably through my Twitter. Um, and, and apologies in advance for all the shit posting, but uh, it's at transcribe t r a n s s c r i b e. So there's two s's in that. Um, it's transcribe. It's not transcribe. <laughs> um, if that makes sense. Uh, you can also catch my podcast. Um, you can find information about that at cancelmedaddy.com. Um, and uh, both my Patreon and myself. I mean, my um, podcast and myself have a Patreon. Uh, so feel free to look those up as well, uh, if that's something that might sound interesting to you. But I really appreciate you having me on. Yeah, my pleasure. And uh, just as a sign off, if you guys are listening on the app, please be sure to hit the subscribe and follow buttons. And if you're listening on Apple Podcasts or Spotify, please follow and rate us uh, so that we can keep climbing the list there. So thanks so much, everybody, and we will see you later on this week. Bye-bye.